Okay, so now we're in chapter 2. And by the way, we encourage you when you come on Wednesday nights, if you have a Bible, bring your Bible with you. While we do use the big Bible in the sky up on the screens, uh, it's, it's better to actually have it on, on a study like this. Sunday mornings is one thing, but uh, uh, on, on Wednesday nights, if you really want to start understanding your Bible, bring it with you. And you can follow along and you can kind of see, well, wait a minute, was that right? Where was he? And then where are we going? And you can jump around and, and get a sense of that. So try and do that on, on the Wednesday nights. Okay, now. We are in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. Again, for those who are fairly new and we're always attracting new people and we love it. um, The Bible was never written in chapters and verses. Okay. Uh, They did that, you know, centuries later. I'm glad they did. Otherwise, how in the world do you find anything? You know, you know, we'd all say turn to page 328, but everyone's got different pages. You know, there's, there's no way of knowing. So by breaking it into what they call chapters and verse, it gives you a point of reference. You go, okay, and you can find what they're talking about. So don't, it's not like all of a sudden they change channels or something. It's just the one letter, uh, but broken in the chapter. So we're in chapter 2, and we're in verse 3. Okay, now, Paul is writing to Timothy. This is this young preacher that Paul has known since he was an infant. Uh, He knew his mother. And knew his grandmother and, and a strong line of faith in that family. We talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, in, in great depth. But uh, so he's writing to this guy and encouraging him to, uh, to, you know, fulfill his ministry that he's called to. So he says to him uh, in verse 3 now, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now stop and think about that. Endure hardship. Don't cry about the hardship. Don't whine about the hardship. Don't bellyache about the hardship. Don't think the world has come to an end over the hardship. You're supposed to do what with the hardship? Endure. Endure. Now, that's not a popular message today. Because we're Americans. And we don't like to endure anything. <laughs> we don't. You know, we're a microwave world. We just, you know, everything is, you know, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Hurry up. And, and uh, we, we, we love comfort. We love, uh, you know... Uh, ease and no one more than me i mean i'm i hate pain <laughs> you know uh, and i hate being inconvenienced and all that kind of stuff because i'm yeah you know, i live in the same world you guys do but a lot of living faith out if you're going to do this it's about doing the right thing even when it's hard to do it it's really what it's about if you only do things based on the relative ease of it well then First of all, your life won't really get anywhere because you'll never accomplish anything. Uh, but you're certainly not in, in your faith. But this is really true in any area of life. I mean, if you're going to be good at anything, you've got to work at it. You know, the piano players, the guys, the musicians playing, my son and all these guys, they are able to do what you just heard them do because they endured. They endured the hardship. And it's brutal. And if you don't think so... Uh, have your kid take piano lessons and listen to them. <laughs> you know. Stop that! You know, you're yelling at your kid to quit it because they're driving you nuts. You know, or it could be worse. Give him a drum set, you know, and uh, get him to learn that. Why? Because it's awkward and it's painful and it's frustrating. And when you're learning, uh, that whole part of it is difficult. The people who become good musicians are the ones who endure the hardship. You know, when uh, 
you know, people say, boy, you know, I, I enjoy your piano playing, blah, 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 blah. And, uh, boy, you know, I wish I could play like that. No, you don't. No, you don't, you little liar. You, you wish just if, if you could do it magically that you wish. Can you play like me? Of course you can. Let me show you how. And plan to spend the next 20 years of your life. Doing these obnoxious things to get to where you can... Why? That's what you have to do. We want the end result, but nobody really wants to do the work, see? That's the culture in which we live. Uh, Everybody would love to have a successful business and work for themselves and make money like a drunken monkey and just, you know, life would be good. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be fair? Everybody would love that. How'd you like just call your own hours and... Yeah, I'd love to do that. No, you don't. Because you don't want to risk anything. You don't want to go through the hell that it takes. Any businessmen here who have gone through hell? Yeah, I'm telling you. It is, it's a lot of fun, isn't it? <laughs> it is when, you're work, when it works. It's great, you know, and you finally get to a point and you think, wow, this is great and you're enjoying the fruits of your labor, but holy stinking cow, it's hard. It's really, really hard to do this stuff. How does a businessman get successful? He endures hardship. He works. It's, it's amazing. Because I own my own business for a while. It's amazing how much free time you have when you own your own business, isn't it? <laughs> a lot of guys say, I own my own business. So I can have more free time. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're in a drug-induced state, Jack. You know, the times you have no life at all. Thing sucks your brain dry and it takes so much energy and effort. <laughs> so, well, I don't want anybody yelling at me, tell me what to do. You'll always have somebody yelling at you, tell you what to do. If it's not your boss, it'll be your customers. Right? Oh, my goodness gracious. Or the banker. <laughs> you know, this is, but we don't want to endure the hardship. So, most people don't want to try. Uh, you, you know, you want to. Have a great academic career? Sure. As long as I don't have to study. I mean, it's just the way we think. And, and it's the same is true in this area of faith. To do it right, to really be successful, you need to endure hardship. And don't, don't look at hardship as, as though something's wrong. A lot of people say, well, this is hard. It's hard. You know, one of the reasons why so many people fail in their relationships is because it gets hard. It gets hard. You know, if my wife disagreed with everything I said and thought and did, it wouldn't be so hard. Amazingly, she doesn't think like me. I still don't understand it. Because I think I'm brilliant. She doesn't agree. You know, it's hard. A lot of people, as soon as it's hard, they jump out. As soon as it's hard, they give up. It shouldn't be hard. If it was really right, it would be easy. I just know it would. <laughs> Again, just drug-induced nonsense and people that can't keep their relationships together, can't keep their jobs together. Can't, and, and when they start serving God and start finding out, you know, it's not always easy. And if you're going to really do this, and he says this to this young preacher, dude, you've got to endure hardship like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, that's not to say God won't answer your prayers. God will still answer your prayers. God will still be there for you. God will do wonderful things in your life. But if you think that means you won't have a hard time, you're wrong. Sometimes things just go horribly awry. My life is 
filled with horribly awry stories. It just is. You know? But I tell them and they're funny because that's what I do. But at the time, it's not so funny. You know, it's really, really difficult. And if you think that God has forsaken you because it's hard, oh, you're just going to, it's going to be so difficult for you. You know, even in the midst of the worst of times, God can move. And, and we see that throughout the Bible. You know, not all the miracles, I've said this to you, if I've said it once, I've said it 30 times, and before you all chase me out of here with a broomstick, I'll say it 2,000 times. We see about the great miracles in the Bible, and we say, man, I want a miracle. Doesn't everybody want a miracle? We all want miracles. The bad news is you got to need one. That's the downside of a miracle. It is. We read the stories, you know, you know, Daniel in the lion's den. What a great miracle. Yeah, but you had to get arrested and thrown in the lion's den first. A lot of us, we'd have freaked. We would have just freaked. Where's God? Where's God? Don't throw me here, please. Kitty, 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 kitty. <laughs> We'd have given up on our face so fast. The guy gets thrown in, the little kitties come over and they don't eat them. This is a good thing. Bad thing that you're, you know, it's not like he was at the Holiday Inn, people. He was thrown in a pit full of lion poop. You know, and dead bones and stuff, and you're in there, and it smells, and it's miserable, and there's no cable. (laughs) And you're waiting for the kitties to come over, and you just know you're going to die any second, and then they don't, and and there's your miracle. Hallelujah. See, but a lot of us, we would have just freaked if we got thrown in the lines. And we, we read about Paul, and these guys have these incredible miracles. How they get arrested and thrown in jail, and then God miraculously busts them out. But yeah... First of all, they had to get arrested and they got the snot beat out of them. I'm talking beat up. Seriously flogged and beat. You know, this, this, this wasn't like today. 2,000 years ago, they would take you, humiliate you, strip you down, beat you with rods. I'm telling you, it hurt like crazy. And then thrown into jail. Again, no cable. And while most of us would be crying and dismayed and angry at God and how could this happen, these guys are praising God in the midst of all this trouble. And that's when the miracle comes. I preached about Sunday about Lazarus being raised from the dead. What a cool miracle. The bad news is you've got to be dead first. But all of these things, they come. But we think what we want is just our lives never to have problems. Then we get to see miracles along the way. Well, yeah, I do too. That would be cool. But that's not what happens. And rather than get freaked out about it and get discouraged about it, you have to endure hardship. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, then Paul gives him three thoughts. Kind of three disconnected thoughts a little bit here. And... uh, And here's the first thought. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Okay, that makes sense. Then all of a sudden he says, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. 
Right, coach? Got to play by the rules, right? You're not going to win. Uh, and then he goes to another thing. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of crops. You know, it's not that he's also going schizophrenic here. He's just, he's just he's throwing out three ideas to him. And he tells him this. Reflect on what I'm saying. For the Lord will give you insight into all of this. So he gives them these three things and says, think about them. Reflect on them and let God speak to you about these things. Well, of course, we can examine them. You know, anyone who's uh, serving as a soldier doesn't get involved in other things. If he's going to be a good soldier, he has to stay committed to his profession. That's how he succeeds. You know, anyone who competes as an athlete, you've got to obey the rules, Timothy. There are certain rules to this. Not, not the Old Testament oppressive rules but there's rules of righteousness rules of life I'm trying to give you these rules if you're going to succeed you've got to follow the rules and then uh, you know the farmer actually gets the first to receive the share of the crops uh, what's he talking about here well and uh, we read previously where he uses the same analogy about this is how it's right for you to be able to actually make a living serving the kingdom of God and uh, previously we talked about how he says you know you, you don't muzzle the ox who's treading out the corn as he's working on the corn, the ox gets to eat. Okay, and, and the analogy of all this. Now, so n- nothing really mind-blowing here. What I really want to focus in on the fact is that in verse 7 where he says to them, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into this. Uh, why doesn't God give people more insight into things? Why doesn't God give you more insight into things? Uh, or myself at times. Why not? Because, because we don't reflect. We don't reflect. We don't, we don't, you know, our life is not really filled with that much reflection. Uh, we have lots of diversions in our lives. Um, entertainment, radio, TV. I mean, a lot of people, they're, there's, they're, they never experience silence at all. You know, the minute they get in the car, they're like, the music's blaring. As soon as they get home, the TV's blaring. And everything's blaring, 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 blaring. We never slow down to think. A lot of people, I think, are scared of their own thoughts. And based on some of their thoughts, I'd be scared too. But, uh, you know, they never take the time to take a concept, look at a verse, and reflect on it. Because he says, if you do this, God will show you things. Do you want God to show you things? The way God shows you things is when you take the time to reflect. And and the Bible refers to it, uh, uses the word meditate. That's what it means, is to reflect, to meditate on something. Uh, and, 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 and in the Bible, when it talks about meditating, it doesn't mean sitting in a lotus position going, um, clearing your mind. It means to, re- to roll something around and around and around again in your mind. Looking at it from this angle, looking at it from that angle. Why? Because as you reflect on these things, God makes things clear to you. He starts speaking to you in ways. Now, you're not going to get a, you know, probably a stereophonic, you know, Dolby encoded message, you know, I mean, it's, but he speaks to you in ways and starts revealing things to you if you'll take the time to reflect. And this is something that even in the Old Testament, they encourage people, man, reflect on what God says. Because if you reflect on what God says, God will bless you. Your life will be more successful if you will reflect. And I want you to turn to Psalms, the book of Psalms, the very first Psalm in the book of Psalms, the uh, um, it says, blessed is the man, uh, which means happy, happy, blessed. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Okay, so he's not getting his advice from, from bad people. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. It doesn't mean get in the way. It means 
walk in the way of sinners, you know, doing the wrong thing, or sit in the seat of mockers. So blessed is a guy who doesn't get involved in, in that stuff. But this man's delight is in the law of the Lord, God's word, God's thoughts, what God has to say about things. This is his delight, okay? Uh, and it says, uh, and on his law, on this word, he meditates day and night. That he reflects on it. This is the guy who's very blessed in his life. Who's very happy in his life. Because he doesn't just go around thinking random thoughts all day long. He stops at times and thinks about something that God has said. Some truth that God has. And starts to reflect. Some scripture you can take and memorize. Or, or something you've read. And just sit back and, and look at it from different angles. And say, wow, what, what is this? Uh, check, out, check out the guy who does this. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season and whose, life, whose, whose leaf does not wither. And check out this word. Whatever he does prospers. This is the sign of a person who reflects on God's words. Who, to God's words actually gets inside their heads. And they actually roll it around and around and around. You start reflecting and God starts showing you things. You start getting blessed in your life to the point that whatever you do prospers. Now that's not to say you still don't have difficulties. Even successful businessmen, as I pointed out, have gone throughout. Anybody successful in anything goes through some form of hell. There's always difficulties. But at the end, you prosper, you succeed, your life is better. People who reflect on God's truth uh, find that their life is better. So my challenge to you is, um, as, as Paul is saying to Timothy, take some of these truths, take some of these scriptures. Uh, maybe it's you got a little devotional thing you read every morning, or maybe it's one of these little, you can go to these Christian bookstores and have these little promise boxes you can pull out a scripture verse to, for the day or whatever. But t- just don't read it and go away. Reflect on these things. Think about them. Get it quiet. You know, just take some time Shut off all the stuff. Get away, whatever. It doesn't have to be hours on end. It might only be 10 minutes. Who knows? But just sit down and start thinking about something from a spiritual perspective, particularly out of the Bible, something that's got, got God's stamp all over it. And reflect on it. And if you reflect on it, you will see, as Paul says, the Lord will give you insight. And the reason why a lot of guys... <laughs> Good grief. Like a magnet for dust and stuff. Uh, <laughs> I have such a short attention span. Um, you, you, you will find that God will give you insight. And, and it's so cool. when It's one thing when Pastor Marky shows you something. And it's still fun, right? And I look at something and I say, it means this. And if you never thought about this, and what about this? First of all, you have to understand, Marky got that because he reflected in the first place. I didn't go to a book of things Marky can say and just pull them out, okay? I get these because I reflect upon these things. And it's great when you're listening to a pastor or something and, you're, and somebody says something, you go, wow, I never thought about that before. And it's cool, right? You think, this is great. I assume that's why you're here tonight because you like getting it. But what's even cooler is when God does that to you. And there's no part, Pastor Marky. As much as I like Pastor Marky, he's a wonderful guy. What's greater is when God starts speaking to you and God starts showing to you and God starts opening your eyes and you start seeing things you'd never saw before and you have insights you didn't know that you could have. And you say, where did that come from? By the power of the Holy Spirit. 
God is still alive. God still speaks to people. God still will reveal himself to you. But it won't just happen with you sitting around watching Gilligan Island reruns. You know, for eight hours straight, eating bonbons. I wonder how come I'm not being blessed. Get away from the TV, you're in the way, you know. You've got, you've got to reflect on stuff. All right, so he goes on. He says, uh, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Every once in a while, as you're reading Paul, all of a sudden he just makes these little proclamations. It's like, where'd that come from? But uh, he's always repeating this basic truth. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, or Jesus Christ, uh, sent from God, or something kind of thing. In this case, uh, he says, Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. He was, the, he was the Messiah. That's what it means when he says descended from David, because that was coming through uh, David's line, uh, the Messiah would come. So he says, this is my gospel. And uh, as simplistic as it is, by the way, you'll notice. Um, he says, this is the gospel for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. The guy's, uh, he's, he's in prison while he's writing all this stuff. And, uh, and at times even chained like he's some kind of an animal or something. He was suffering. But he says the wonderful thing is that God's word is not chained. It doesn't matter uh, what happens to me. Uh, it doesn't even matter where I am. God's word transcends all and changes everything and, and can happen all over. The- well, one of the things that we do here uh, at Celebration Church, we have guys in Stevens Point uh, watching uh, the, the, this right now. We have... Uh, uh, on Sunday morning, we also have the cafe, and we're hoping to establish some other campuses. Quite frankly, we have to do something, because I don't know if you've been here lately, but the place is jammed out. You know, we can't grow anymore. We're going to have to do something. Wonderful problem to have, isn't it? But uh, the, 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 the neat thing is that we don't all have to be in the same room. And we could even be on the other side of town and, uh, and still have a wonderful worship experience. Say, well, how does that work? Because the word of God transcends. You don't have to be there physically. I'm not physically to the guys in watching me right now in point. But you guys are still getting the word of God. You're getting the truth of this. I don't have to be there physically uh, anymore. And I have to be here physically for you guys. You know, it's, it's uh, God's word is bigger than that. In fact, Paul wasn't there when Timothy read this. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, he wasn't even there. But yet he's read it. And Paul's been dead for 2,000 years. And we're still getting a groove from this. You don't have to be there physically. That's God's word transcends all of these things. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That means the chosen ones of God. That they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And then he said, here is a trustworthy saying. And then every once in a while he goes into these little poems or things. Like we don't know if these were hymns that they sang uh, in the early church. Very likely probably were or... If, just a poem. I don't know. Who knows? But anyway, he, he goes into this verse. He says, here's a trustworthy say. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If, which was what I was just talking about. About enduring suffering so that you can succeed. You know, over and over again. Like in, 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 the, in the book of Revelation, Jesus said, if you will overcome, I will give you this. If you'll overcome, and a lot of times they were difficult circumstances, they, they overcome. So only overcomers get to heaven. This is why only married people will make it in. <laughs> uh, I'm just teasing. <laughs> you single, what do you got to endure? Anyway, uh, 
If we endure, if we do these things that we were talking about earlier, about enduring, doing the right thing, even though it's not easy, we will reign with him. Hallelujah. What a glorious thing. If we disown him, he will also disown us. You don't want that happening to you. Okay? If we are faithless, if we're faithless, he still remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Then he goes on with them. He says, now, keep reminding them who? The people that he's supposed to teach. Remember, he's a young preacher. Uh, Keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. Um, Now, it's not specifically here what what he's talking about, but apparently people people like to get in debates. Well, what does that word really mean? What does that word mean? Over here. And he says, don't get caught up in all that stuff. It's of no value and only ruins those who listen to it. And then he encourages Timothy, do your best to present yourself as to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Correctly handles the word of truth. Rightly dividing, one translation says, the word of truth. You want to be able to be skilled as a, as a minister of the gospel. You need to be able to correctly handle. What does that imply? That you can incorrectly handle or in the other case mishandle the word of truth how is that possible because you know you can jump on just one little phrase in the bible or just one little thoughts of the bible and get off on a tangent to where you're absolutely off base it happens all the time people get ranting about one thing or whatever and they'll get all excited about something and to the point that they're not balanced in their faith anymore uh, you have to understand something about the scriptures the scriptures it's lots of pieces that give us the whole picture. You can't just look at one piece and think that you're getting the whole picture. You've got to rightly divide it. You've got to look at it in context. That's why I keep stressing this idea of reading the Bible in context because so many Christians do not read the Bible in context. I've met Christians who've never, have never, they read the Bible all the time, but have never actually read one Bible book all the way through, even a few pages like this. They just jump from one thing to another. Or they'll get these concordances. And they just will jump from this. And I'll go find this verse over here. And, they, and, and that's okay. But honestly, that's not how it was written. And that's not how they read it. You need to read it in context. You start got to understand all of it. And put it in context. And start understanding this can't possibly mean this if this says something else. That's where you get people saying, well, the Bible's contradictory. No, it's not. It's just a different view of a many-sided thing. You know, it would be like, you know, getting a bunch of blind guys together around an elephant and to decide what it looks like. Right? One guy's hanging out of the trunk and he starts describing something totally different than the guy on the rear. (laughs) Right? Are they both right? They are. They are both right. And since you got to put it all together, the guy hanging on to the leg, you know, what are you guys talking about? There's no holes here at all. (laughs) And and is he right? Yes! He's right! You know, I'm a pilot, and uh, I was... uh, uh, flying today down I was down to uh, Branson, Missouri. I was on uh, the Jim Baker show today. And uh, um, I was... Uh, when you're flying, you need to look at all the instruments and get information from this one and this one and this one. And if this agrees with this one and that agrees with that and they all agree, you're in pretty good shape. Okay? If you're looking at one instrument and it doesn't agree with the other one, you got yourself a situation. 
All right. So anyway, we're flying in the airplane today. My co-pilot, Jim, uh, and uh, we're going in and uh, we're, our autopilot's like possessed of the devil or something. I don't know. It wasn't working right. It's just, Jared, I shut that stupid thing off. We'll just fly it by hand as we're, we're coming in for this instrument approach, flying through the clouds and rain and whatnot as we're coming in. And, uh, and Jim's dicking around with the buttons or something like that. And, and uh, So anyway, so I'm, I'm looking at the instrument. The instruments say, you need to turn left. And he's over there saying, what are you doing? You need to turn right. And I said, shut up. It says you got to turn left. He says, no, you got to turn right. And it's like, ah. Well, we finally land the plane. And we spent all day yelling at each other. All day. I yelled at him. And he yelled back. I said, did you do that? Yeah, we're a couple of control freaks. I said, you do yell at each other. We're men. We can handle it. So... And, and even though we're yelling and arguing, you know, we're being as polite as we can. I'm sure in his mind he's thinking, this man is an idiot. And I'm thinking, he is a moron. Okay? And we're debating. And he says, well, when this says that and says you can't pay attention, I said, what do you mean you can't pay attention to it? It's instrument flying. You fly by the instruments. If it says turn left, you got to turn left. He said, but no, you're wrong. You had to turn right. And I said, well, you weren't watching this thing. And it's, ah! So out of sheer frustration... We're coming into Green Bay about an hour and a half ago. And we try to recreate the same environment. <laughs> because, you know, because you know, I'm sure, I'm, I'm telling you, I know what those instruments say. I'm not the most skilled pilot. Now, he's an Air Force trained pilot. And of course, he thinks I'm a complete moron, right? But I think, you know, I don't have to go to the Air Force to understand my left from my right. <laughs> So we recreate the thing, and sure enough, he pulled it off and went, oh. And what he had done, is he had made it so that my instruments were looking at one thing, and his were looking at another. We were both right. His was saying, turn right. Mine was saying, turn left. Let's not do this in the future. You know what I'm saying? I mean, stuff happens, you know. I mean, it wasn't life-threatening at all, but I'm just, it's one of those things. What are you talking about? What are you, you know, we finally just quit listening to all the stupid things and finally landed the dumb plane. But, you know, something like that could be a bad thing, you know, in a bad situation. Well, we learn not to do. But we didn't know the thing would even do that. Because the thing's designed that whatever the one pilot's seeing, the other one sees automatically. That's the way it's designed. Jim figured out a way to circumvent that event. <laughs> you know, well, let's not do that again. Okay, but in reality, we were both right. He, he did think I was an idiot, and so was he. Because his thing said right, right, did say left. And we finally figured out, and then I started laughing. I think, oh my God, I'm going to call it morons flying the airplane. But, uh, but, you know, this is to get the full picture. You've got to look at everything to get a healthy perspective of exactly where are we. Right? And what's the next thing to do? That's what it's talking about, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth rightly uh, handling the word of truth and uh, you know it helps to study and, and to be as educated as you possibly can be but honestly you don't I mean there's a lot of advantage especially those who, who give themselves to the full time ministry study a lot harder than probably some of those who don't but don't, don't ever think that only someone who's been to Bible college can understand this it's, it's not that hard it's really not 
you know, now they have some advantages and they'll learn more about this. And, and not because they spend so much time focusing on it, they'll, they uh, become more skilled at it. But anybody can get this. Anybody. It's not that complicated. But you've got to start with the assumption that, number one, you don't know everything. And number two, you want to get as much information and so you get a full picture of what's going on. Okay, so he encourages them in that. Uh, then he says, avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And I think, wow, godless chatter. What exactly is godless chatter? Is it chatter that doesn't have to do with God? If that's the case, I'm in big trouble. So are you. Because we chatter about things all the time. We'll chatter about work. We'll chatter about politics. We'll chatter about the football game. We'll chatter, 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 chatter. Does this mean we cannot chatter? Because we are chatterlies. And not everything. And I'm telling you, there are some people who would take a scripture like this. And indeed, history has shown that at times, Christians were extremely strict and very disciplined. And they would really condemn you if you were talking about anything other than God. Or something spiritual. I don't know if you've ever been in a church like that. It's not a lot of fun. But, uh, you know, just, well, and they'll quote, you, know, you ch- look at this, brother, right here. Avoid godless chatter. It's not God you're talking about. It's chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Well, if you don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth, if you don't know how to put things in context, you're in trouble. Is this making any sense to anybody? Okay. Well, let's put it in context. So, because if we stop there, the implication is you can't chatter about anything except God. So he says, avoid godless chatter because you become more. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Whoa, wait a minute. I was just talking about the football game. How does that change like gangrene? So clearly, he's not just talking about chattering. He's talking, when he says godless chatter, he's talking about ungodly, some kind of bad kind of talk. I don't know what he's talking about. He says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. Well, that's not going to happen because I talked about the Packer game. All right? So clear, when you put it in context, you start understanding the godless chatter he's talking about is somehow a very destructive thing. These guys are chattering about things that are getting all off base and getting away from the truth of the gospel. Because look, this is where they wound up. He said, they say that the resurrection has already taken place. And they destroy the faith of some. So these guys created that. Again, I wouldn't call it godless chatter. another kind of wording, but that's what he used. These guys obviously got themselves all talking through things that weren't really scriptural at all. And set out to actually preach a false doctrine. And went around telling people, well, the resurrection has already taken place. I don't know how you get there. How you would teach that the resurrection has already taken place. What happens when they die? Is there no more resurrection? I mean, it's just bizarre, you know. But anyway, it confused people. And some people, it, they fell away from the faith because of this bad teaching and stuff. So this chatter that he was talking about was clearly a destructive, anti-God, unbiblical, false doctrine thing. This is the kind of chatter he's talking about now that we see it in context. They say the resurrection has taken place. They destroy the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Here's the bottom line. He says, you know, even though false doctrines come and stuff, and he'll refer to this a little bit later, um, you know, the reality is God still knows who's his, the people that are his. And, 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 uh, 
while there will be people who will be swept away from one side to the other with goofy things, um, you know, when we put our trust in God, he knows how to keep that, which, which he said earlier, to keep that which, that which we've committed to him. And he will finish the work that he started in us because God word, God's word is true. Why people get off and get wacky sometimes, who knows? It's hard to understand, but he warns about it all the time. Throughout the whole New Testament, they constantly warn about this, and he's going to warn about it a few more times just in this little letter that he wrote to Timothy. Look out, look out, look out. Look out. There are a lot of bad people out there. And, and this Christian thing that was growing like crazy in leaps and bounds, you think we're having growth problems, you know, because we've reached 3,000 and we're packed out. These guys, they get 5,000 people saved in a day. In a day. What would we do if 5,000 people started coming to this church tomorrow? It would be a problem. I mean, so, so there's all, and in this thing, I think they were, they, they were taking in so many people that uh, some were coming in that really had true hearts and others were coming in who had no such transformation. People, their lives weren't being changed at all. They just looked for opportunities opportunities to gain Christianity was kind of a hip thing you know except when persecution came then they all scattered you know but without the persecution it was kind of a popular thing people would come in they get involved you know and a lot of guys would take advantage of the situation which he's going to talk about some more here uh, in a little bit so anyway um, then he goes on and he changes the subject a little bit again trying to encourage this young man to live the kind of life and live in such a way that God can use him God can use him how many of you want God to be able to use you you know, and so that God can advance his purpose. And I'm telling you, a lot of people pray, say, God, use me. God, use me. But really the best way to pray is not God, use me. It's God, make me usable. Make me. The reason why God doesn't really use people sometimes, or a lot of people, is just, what is he going to do with them? We're just not usable because we're just so carnal, carnally minded. That's what the Bible calls it, carnally minded. Carnal means meat, minded means head. Carly minded means you're a meathead. <laughs> and sometimes we're just meatheads. Alright? And then he uses this analogy. He says, in a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Again, kind of hinting at, you know, in this large house, in this large thing of faith, you get some really good people and you get some that aren't so good. Or you get people that are... Um, really valuable the kind of vessels that God can use and vessels that God can't use uh, he says of this silver and the clay ones he says, some are for noble purposes and some for ignoble if a man cleanses himself from the latter quits being a meathead quits doing the wrong things, starts doing the right things then he'll be an instrument for noble purposes made holy useful to the master prepared to do any good work and you've got to believe this that God wants to advance his kingdom the reason you're here for a reason you didn't just stumble in here you might have thought you just stumbled in here but god wasn't shocked when you came to church you know an angel didn't come guess who's at church really god i didn't know what surprises me you know god really he knows he didn't look at you and go oh myself He knew who you were. He knew you were here for a reason. And God's speaking to you. And he's working in your life. And he wants to use you some ways in glorious ways. Some in the most simple of ways. But he wants to use you to touch the world in which you live. And, and if we'll be the kind of people God can use, then he'll use us. But 
if we fight God and we resist God and we keep doing things we know God doesn't want us to do and we're disobedient and, and we don't take our faith that seriously, God will just put you on the shelf. You know, and he's God. He'll wait you out. You know, a lot of people, they think, you know, God's got, you got to do something with me eventually. No, he doesn't. He'll park you. He'll park until you do something. You look at the children of Israel. For 40 years, they wandered in the desert. Do you know why? He's waiting for them to all die off. If I'd have been God, I just would have went, next group. <laughs> Be glad that I'm not God. I got to tell you. But he just waits them out. God's not in a hurry. I'll march around this mountain one more time. I'll do this. And you're dead. And, and you know, you're not going to outweigh God. You're not going to wear him down. Some people get so stubborn with God. It's like, if I just keep fighting God, he'll wear down. I'm going to do it my way, God. I'm going to do it my way. Are you crazy? He's God. You, God. Who do you think's going to win? But we get so stubborn. Man, just give it up already. Do what God wants you to do. He'll just park you and make you walk around the desert. He will. It takes you 40 years before you get a clue. He's cool with that. He's not in a hurry. Don't waste your life, man. Get in a place where God can use you. Don't be so stubborn fighting God in your life. Easy to say, but it's hard to do. Because a lot of times we want to hang on to stuff and do things that God doesn't want us to do or we don't want to do things we know God does want us to do. And uh, better just to yield and win with Jesus. Next thing, flee evil desires of youth. Why would he say that? Because youth is full of evil desires. And I don't know why it just is. And uh, I, was, I, was, <laughs> I was on the Jim Baker show today, and uh, I was working with uh, Lori Baker and, and their kids. they got a bunch of teenagers, and talking about how to understand each other and, and, and work together and stuff. And, uh, and I said, look, your mom can understand. They were loving it because they were felt like someone finally understood them, and I was explaining them to mom. And yes, yes, yes. And I said, okay, it's great. But at the end of the day, mom still has to corral you. She does. Because... You're young. You're young adults and young adults. And one of the things about being young is you get, you know, we just get this rush of energy that might, oftentimes will take us in the wrong direction. And I said, you know, you don't, and I was encouraging the parents on, on, uh, that were watching, you know, don't freak out when there's conflict between you and your kids. It's perfectly fine. In fact, truth is, if you really do your job as a parent, you will have conflict. Unless you have some saintly child that, you know, and some, you know, they just got real kids that were just so totally compliant, you know, but most kids, you want to strangle them to death. But don't worry about, don't freak out because there's conflict. Because a lot of parents, they cave when there's conflict. (laughs) They just let the kid do whatever they want to do. Do not do that. It's your job as a parent. Challenge these kids. Channel them. And don't let them guilt you out. You don't trust me. You're a teenager. Shut up. Nobody trusts you. <laughs> Honestly, if you trust your teenager, you're an idiot. Idiot wrapped up in a moron. How many, how many, when I was a teenager, we loved going to the houses where their moms trusted them. <laughs> we did. Party city, dude. 
Let's go over to Susan's house. Her mom trusts her. And we act like hellions. There is something wrapped up in youth that what will pull you in the wrong direction if you and your kids and if you don't play guard over them they will stray into the wrong place. One of the reasons why so many parents have fail at this thing particularly in these teen years is because they quit parenting too soon. They quit parenting they finally can dress themselves and not poop their pants. Honestly, and there's a part of you that goes, oh, thank God. You remember those days? Some of you guys, you bet you finally, they can actually dress, you know, you know, they can actually take care of themselves. And a lot of parents go, and they just, they just let them go. It's a disaster when you do that. Don't quit parenting too soon. Write it out. You're not done with them. Just because they can take care of themselves or drive themselves around does not mean you just lay hands off because they will corrupt themselves given the opportunity. That is the temptation of youth. It is a, not that all young people are bad. They're not. They're, and even some of the best ones. But you can, they can create a world of hurt in their own lives if they get pulled astray because of these desires that is caught up in youth. And one of the things a responsible parent, a godly parent, a Christian parent, a responsible parent, even if you're a heathen, some of them are more responsible than some Christian parents I know. Is you watch them. And you keep tabs on them. You keep parenting. If they're saying they're going to Bobby's house, check on them. It's amazing when you check on them mysteriously, miraculously. They're not at Bobby's house. How did this happen? We always checked on our kids. They hated it. I did it. But I tell you, you tell you going to Bobby's house, Jack. You better be at Bobby's house because I'm calling in about an hour. We don't tell them that. We just wait. Go to Bobby's house. Okay, great. See ya. Hey, Bobby's Phil over there. Who? It's amazing what you can learn. You've got to stay involved. They'll come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses why they never quite made it to Bobby's house and blah, 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 blah. But goodness gracious. And I'll tell you what, don't just call their cell phone numbers. <laughs> so I'm telling you, a lot of people are really dumb. I, you know, honestly, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but you just got to wonder if the hemispheres are connected at all. When you call their cell phone numbers to check on them, you're not checking on them because the cell phone number can go anywhere it wants. You call Bobby's mom's cell phone number. Come on. Why? To just keep tabs on them. Keep making them responsible. Keep staying on tabs of them. Why? So they can avoid the lust of youth, the dangerous desires of youth, the things that keep them on the straight and narrow. And if you do your job, by the time they leave their house, and if you've been there with them, and praying with them, and teaching them, and watching over them, they will turn out to be fabulous young people. We have such many incredible young people in this church. And I tell you, the ones who are the most phenomenal, most wonderful, the ones that you see involved in ministry and stuff like that, these are the ones that had parents who did not trust them. (laughs) 
who were on top of everything, who double-checked where they were at, kept their paws on them, kept parenting them. Because it doesn't feel like you need to parent a 17-year-old. You know, they're almost a legal adult. Yeah, just don't, don't give. Every, every day, our kids had to come in and we had family devotions and we prayed together. Every, even when they were 17, 18. As long as they're in the house, that's what we did. And if their friends were over, all their friends had to sit down and they prayed with us. And we just constantly, and we had curfew up until the time they left. You got to be in by such and such time or I will strangle you. It's very clear, you know, and they knew the rules. And when they get those boundaries, as much as they hate and scream and holler and whine and complain, you don't trust me, it helps to create strong, healthy young people who have not been destroyed by the desires, the evil, destructive desires of youth. It's there. We know it's there. You all know it's there. Some of you went and did them yourselves. You know. You should keep strong tabs on these kids. Stay involved. Eventually, they do finally leave the house. (laughs) But don't quit parenting too soon. All right, let's have our uh, ushers come forward and we're going to close the service with our uh, Wednesday night offering. Our musicians can come back up and get ready to close out the service. And next Wednesday night, we will pick it up uh, right there with the flee evil desires of youth and continue on and uh, it won't take long this is a very very there's like one whole page here it's a very very short little epistle and, uh, and then we'll be done and, and moving on you guys can come on forward um, remember third yeah clap hallelujah Friday good Friday don't want to miss the good Friday service it's a wonderful service a time of reflecting on, on what Jesus went through. And then, of course, we have our Easter egg thing for the kids Saturday morning, and then our big Easter Sunday service. You probably want to come a little early because it will probably be a zoo here. But it's a wonderful zoo. Praise God. All kinds of chattering monkeys. Ready? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your word, Lord. Help us to grow from it. Give us wisdom, understanding. Challenge us. Help us to be the kind of people that take your word and reflect on what you're saying. View things differently, prayerfully, so that you can start showing us stuff. You can start making yourself very, very real to us. Oh, God, fill us with your love and your patience and your kindness and your grace. Help us in all that we do, from being parents, being spouses, being with kids, just all of this. Let let the life of God affect every area of our life. Just like turning on a light bulb in a dark room. The light hits every place all at once. Lord, light up our lives, every area of our lives, so it can be touched by your wonderful presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Bless this offering, we pray. Amen.